Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 212, John and Wendy, Ask Us Anything Part 4. <laughs> what? No, again and again and again and again and again? <laughs> sure, there you go. There it is. Wendy said it for me. As always, I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I'm doing well. And we're in March. Good. We're very excited to have Namely on board as the sponsor for this episode. Yeah. So we Thank appreciate you, them. Be sure to check out Namely.com to learn more about their offerings. For those of you in those employer space between 50 and 1,000 employees, they do some really, really great work. And you should check them out. Yes, definitely check them out. They're awesome. Excited to work with them again. Wendy, we hadn't done an Ask Us Anything for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed at the, we go from literally from the ridiculous to the sublime when it comes to the questions that come in. So and the first ridiculously off, thank you. sublime. Let's just say that yes, too. Yes. <laughs> we will thank everyone at the end, but well, at the outset, thank you for yes. participating and contributing. We're going to have, we're going to have fun, Wendy. I, so we I, always do, but know, we know yeah. we're going to have fun. We're gonna, there's going to be a lot of laughter in this episode. <laughs> yes. Some of it, yeah. Well, I was going to say some of it's self-inflicted, but yeah, that too. <laughs> we always start with the, I guess, more business-related or yeah. serious, maybe not so serious, but pertaining to our work right. and the podcast and what have yeah. you. And then we move to that ridiculous uh-huh. and the sublime and ridiculously sublime. So, yes. Wendy, before we start, I'll ask because... We don't have a guest. What's in your glass tonight? You know, I have a I have a nice rosé and some water. I'm I'm double fisting tonight because because I can. I I can. How about you? I have a bottle of orange and cream sparkling water beverage because I I don't have spindrift, so I have (laughs) I have clear American, which I think is. Is the Walmart version of Spender? Those days at Walmart, it's, Food Lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a dreamsicle or creamsicle. It's quite. Good. Oh, nice, nice. I, um, I know. You know, we don't record the video here, but for those at home, when John first lifted it up for a hot second, I thought it w- might be um, hand sanitizer, and <laughs> thought we we're going to have a very different conversation. But yeah, it's no, not. No, very it's happy. Not. It's, it's not. not. <laughs> it's not. There's no introduction no, to be made. There's not. So we'll, we're we're here. We're here. We're here for the fun. So let's get started. Let's get started. Yes. So our first question, John, is from Matt Henry. What lasting impact do you feel the pandemic has had on the world of HR? Thank you, Matt. I think it is too early to tell. I would say we're still not even out of the pandemic. Right. It, it is. It's very strange. You and I talked offline earlier this week. We have lifted mass mandates here for the most part in the state of Virginia. And it was very weird being in an office and seeing people's faces. Right. You know, just seeing eyes for literally I've seen people's eyes, yeah. unless you're in a meeting or you're far away, but just walking around the office and people are smiling and, hey, how are you? And it was just, it was weird <laughs> in, in a good way, but weird. Yeah. Almost it, just kind of like when Sarah Noel Wilson talked about reintroducing ourselves. Right. That's what it felt like. It oh, was, it was really strange. So I, I I think it's hard to know what the lasting impact is. Uh-huh. I think in the short term, we're going to continue to really struggle with the whole work from home or work remote idea. And, and, and how do we continue to encourage that where we can? 
we're going to have to continue to encourage it where we can, because right. I think that people have come to expect it in many cases, in, mm-hmm. in those jobs that allow it. It's also going to be interesting to see while we don't anticipate seeing something of this level again, how will we respond next time? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if you right. remember when we did our emergency preparedness session mm-hmm. with Paula, Paula, yes. Yeah. And her friend, you know, we talked about, I can remember planning for bird flu right. and the, and several other things. It'll be interesting to see if we remember, because <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen in our careers again, right. but if it does, do we remember how we handled it this time? I don't want to speculate. It'd be interesting. Maybe we hold this question for Matt, even for next year or right. then several years down the road to figure out what the impact is. I will say one positive, I think, or maybe a, a positive impact in it is that I do think there's a lot more credibility that has been placed on HR in many yeah. organizations. Hopefully that sticks. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think you're right. I think it's too soon to say for sure. I, you know, if we want to talk about something good, I think HR has been at the forefront during the last two years of pushing the envelope and how do we do things better and different. Um, we're, we're past the time of the way we've always done it. Um, I know you and I have been there a while, but I think more and more people are getting there and, and how do we do work differently? Um, so I, I would agree with, but I'm going to agree that, you know, we could ask this question every year here on forward um, and we'll get a different answer. Well, Chris Hadley asked as a recruiter, what is one of the funniest or out of the ordinary questions you've ever been asked by a candidate? This is a hard question. I've been digging through the recesses of my mind and I don't know if I've just been incredibly lucky, but I, I can't think of anything that's really outlandish. Um, I went back to a story way back when a friend of mine um, told about the most outlandish thing he had ever seen was when um, someone he was interviewing started breastfeeding their baby in the middle of the interview. And it was an in-person interview. So this was, you know, probably 20 years ago, um, which maybe it's not that outlandish, but it would probably. Did they ask at least? No, they okay. just, they, they, they brought just the it. baby wow. in and, and just did it, which, you know, good for you if you're comfortable in, in doing that, but it is, uh, it is a bit out of place in the middle of an interview. Um, and especially back in the day, uh, this, I think it was for United airlines. So very conservative company, um, to, to do that. So, um, sorry to be boring, Chris, but I really don't have any weird outlandish, uh, candidate questions. (laughs) I'm very in the same place. I always felt like most times candidates, at least when I was doing real, what I would call uh-huh. real recruiting or very, really, you know, on the phone all the right. time, I felt like most times people weren't very well prepared. Yeah. You know, in other words, it was almost like they'd maybe had done a little bit of research. And I know there's this whole argument about, well, what does it really say if they haven't read up on you or if they should? And I know it's different now in the market that we're in, but I would think back then, 15, 20 years ago, right. you would at least understand enough to know what the company does and what kind of widgets they're making. Uh-huh. I didn't have any really off the wall questions I can't remember the first professional staffing company I worked for. There was a person that was applying for an accounting job that asked if having an embezzlement charge may uh, <laughs> negate them from getting work. That's probably up yeah. there. 
And by the way, yes, it does. <laughs> it was much more challenging to yeah. play somebody that is supposed to be counting the money when apparently they counted the money and put it in their girlfriend's pocket because they explained the whole story to me. Oh, wow. That, uh, wh- wow. Why they wh- why they did what they did. Interesting. And they did it for love and, you know, family business. And, oh, yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I can tell you uh, the most interesting question I've probably ever asked in an interview um, okay. I, was, I was interviewing at, uh, a university. I want to say it was the university of Oregon, um, because Rocky and I were considering, um, that is one of the locations we would move to. I did ask if there were discounts to, uh, football, they discount oh. season tickets to their, to the football. Um, they do not. Um, and I don't think many <laughs> universities do have discounted, uh, season tickets to their football teams. Um, I know SDSU doesn't either. So, um, that's probably the most outlandish question I've even asked. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Canadian, Melanie Peacock asks, what is the most surprising thing you have learned about our global HR community by doing the podcast? What has been the greatest impact on your own work based upon what you have learned through the podcast? For me, the surprising thing was that our issues are basically the same. Uh And that regardless of where we were literally talking to somebody in Australia or India or fill in the blank, literally on the other side of the planet, the core people issues tend to be the same. And I think that that was the biggest surprise for me. Uh You know, I can remember when we first started talking to people and just trying to understand what were the challenges and holy cow, they're they're really not that different. So that no. that was very impactful and very surprising. What has it done for me as far as my work? Well, I've been able to parlay the podcast into my work to create content in that way. That's been a tremendous thing. I've had a lot of fun doing it. Getting to know as many people as we've gotten to know. It's been great when we are looking at tech or we are looking mm-hmm. at uh, different things. I can call different people and I can introduce them to my my management team and have conversations about whatever that is. It's been just a fantastic thing. And I know it's funny. I can remember we had been Eubanks on a long time ago talking about AI. My VP wanted to talk to him and we got done with the call. And after Ben hung up, my boss said, how did you know that guy? I'm like, he was my roommate at Sherm <laughs> conference. And he's like, huh? And I go, yeah, I'd never met him before. Yeah. Uh, we just ended up being roommates because it was Chicago and expensive. And he's like, huh? I mean, he was blown away. Right. But anyhow, right. it's been a lot of fun to be able to get to know so many great Uh people and then take that and and apply it in our day jobs and have some level of success with it. I I would agree with all of that. (laughs) And I I was thinking back to, yeah, the first time we went to Sherm and uh, as, as the podcast, I should clarify that. um, And we sat down and we interviewed um, Ravi and, you know, and Mofada and, and Renee and, Bell, uh, Ben and Cell, uh, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting somebody. Um, Anish. Anish. And, um, you know, sitting there talking to him about, oh, these are all the same. We're all going through the exact same thing, which is just fascinating and not, right? Because it's people. We deal with people. So, of course, we're dealing with a lot of the same things. And how, how has it impacted you from a day job perspective? Um, well, you know, I've talked about the podcast, doing a podcast at, at work as well. Um, but I think, I think the biggest thing is just the connections, you know, um, 
especially as I'm doing more of the strategy stuff and getting into asking questions and, hey, who's already done this? Where do we want to go? Um, how do we want to, um, how, how has it worked for you? And being able to just reach out and call people and, and, and have those conversations, I think is, um, is priceless. And then, you know, being able to say, make recommendations on vendors of who do we work with, bring them into our own conversations and expand the people that I work with to know the greater HR community, because I think, that's what makes us all better. It's not just keeping it to ourselves, but it's sharing it with those that we work with um, and expanding that HR community. Kate Bischoff's name is going to come up more than right now. <laughs> Her serious question for us was, if you worked for an organization with a 25% pay gap between men and women or between black and white employees, would you resign? In theory, that should be a very easy question. In reality, it's it's harder. I really want to say, yes, I would. I think it would be easier to do it now because there are more opportunities to find work where, you know, maybe even two years ago, um, before remote work was really a possibility saying, oh, I, I, I don't want to work for this organization anymore because of this issue. I guess I could go to work for Walmart. I could go to work for McDonald's as, um, you know, drive-through person um, because there just weren't that many opportunities for someone with my skill set in a small town type of thing. But I know in the past, I ignored it, to be honest with that, because I, I did. I would leave only after I had an opportunity to try to make some kind of change. Yeah. I've been really fortunate in my roles over the years, particularly when I was in leadership, I had a very diverse group of people working for me. I knew what the pay ranges were. I made sure that people were paid all, you know, uh -huh. according to, yeah. you know, I didn't have any major gaps and I was very cognizant of that. I feel like if it was one of those situations where I walked into an organization, not knowing uh -huh. at all and not having any idea. And if, if I was afforded an opportunity to have those conversations, try to address those gaps and everybody just kind of said, it, it is what it is. We're not dealing with it there's probably bigger things at play than just that. Right. You know, if you're, right. when you're talking those kind, and, and I'm sure I know it exists, you and I both right. know it exists. I would want to try to make some type of fundamental changes and, and move that needle before I just gave up. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's, it is a, it would be a, it would be a challenge for sure. And, and I think that I almost feel like that's one of those things where as you're, <laughs> we talked about quite candidate questions earlier. Yeah. I don't know how much people are going to give up the keys to the kingdom before, before you get the job. But it would be interesting if, if those kind of if you could start to discern some of those things uh -huh. before you ever started. You know, it's interesting. So um, pulling back the curtain, uh, we're recording this the day after International Day of the Woman or, or whatever it's called. And yesterday on Twitter, there's a Twitter account and I'll have to find it so we can put it in the um, show notes. But every company that tweeted out Happy International Day of the Woman they quote tweeted it with where they were with equi pay equity. So were they met women were, and even if there were a few that they tweeted out that, Hey, this, these people are paying their women more or these, this, they're right equal. Mm -hmm. um, and then today they started, you started seeing companies deleting tweets or reposting something to, you know, clarify what they were meaning. So um, I, I'll find it and put it in the, um, in the show notes, because I think 
one of the advantages we have now is it's a lot clearer where some of those pay gaps are. And so we can be more discerning even before you apply. I will find that for our, for our notes. Paula Harvey asks, what's keeping you up at night in your career? This has gotten a lot easier for me the longer I've done this. And particularly when I was in leadership, heavy is the head that wears the crown. I think right now I am struggling like everyone else and like you are in your organization and every organization is finding the right people for the right jobs right. at the right time and then figuring out how to retain them, knowing it's just different than it was 10 years ago. Uh-huh. I don't lose sleep over it because I know everybody, I keep telling myself everybody's in the same boat. Right. If it was just my organization, I'd be flipping It'd be out. Different, and, yeah. It would be different. I know it's not. And it's almost comical. I've seen our organization grow so much, and I've been there seven over seven years now. Wow. We've doubled in size of teammate base, and our revenues are tremendously better than when I started. The growth is not going backwards. Right. If anything, infrastructure is so important in this country, and there's so many opportunities. It, it's dumbfounding that the jobs we turn down and the backlog of work we have in some places is substantial. Uh-huh. It's finding all these people to do the work. Some of it is just, you, you can't will them into existence. I don't have a Harry Potter hat. <laughs> I'd be wealthy if I did. Right. It, it's figuring out the talent puzzle, uh-huh. getting in front of them earlier, selling yourself as well as anyone else. That's what I think about a lot, or I can't say it necessarily keeps me up like it did many years ago, because I I, I kind of rest easy knowing it's not us, it's not, but, it's but it is. You. It's, it is a concern, yeah. and it is a concern I don't see fading anytime soon. I can honestly say nothing. It's not keeping me up at night like it may have a, a few years ago. Talent pool, all of that. Um, I am extremely fortunate right now to to be in a position that is, not that it's not important, but it's not high demand. I'm not making 25, 30 phone calls a day. I'm not getting hundreds of emails a day that I have to answer. I get to sit back and think about these problems and I get to spend my work time doing it. So I don't have to, it doesn't bother me at night because I've already thought about it for eight hours. And what are some of those, what are some new ways we can get out in front of candidates and how can we entice people to come to our organization? And I realize I'm very fortunate to be able to do that right now. My employers are listening. I love my job. (laughs) Um, And seriously, I do. It's, um, it is one of the lowest stress jobs with a lot of uh, high payoff. I'm putting out really cool initiatives that are getting more people educated to do entry-level medical work and and helping high school students find those opportunities to figure out where do they want to work when they're, if they want to go into the medical field, where in the medical field do they want to work? Because no longer are you just looking at, do you want to be a doctor or do you want to be an, oh, John, you might want to be a doctor. Wendy, you might want to be a nurse because of how, <laughs> where, where we are, but being able to help people see the, the broader depth of, of what's available in healthcare. So I, I sleep easy at night when it comes to that. <laughs> Bob Thicken, better known as Professor Bob on yeah. Twitter asks, do you have any interest or desire to become a COO, which I assume he means chief operations officer? Probably. Yeah. No, I, that's easy, short question. I used to think I wanted to be one of those have lots of letters behind my name or, you know, big title. I have zero desire to do that. I don't need that. <laughs> I would say you are a COO. You have a business. I do. A burgeoning business. 
whether you like it or not, I'm the COO of the HR Social Hour podcast. You are. I've been operating <laughs> this thing for four years, and this is about True. as far as I like to go. True. Well, do I want to go be a COO for somebody else? No. No. As yeah. I said earlier, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yep. Going back to Paul's question, I want to be able to sleep at night. And, and that, yeah. I did it. I experienced it. It yeah. was fine, but running this little organization is plenty for me. You keep us running forward and, you know, I'm going to update my LinkedIn profile and add COO of Daily Scoops and see what happens. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, well, that's, that's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but yeah. <laughs> I don't need more recruiters contacting me. <laughs> or podcast bookers. Or podcast bookers. Right, right. Jeff Shapiro asks, what would you attempt to do if you could not fail? thought about this for a long time so I really like this question. Mm-hmm. One of the few regrets in my life musically is that I didn't spend more time learning bass, either electric or oh. upright. If I had the ability to attempt and would not fail, it would be to play bass at a very high level, fill in the blank, either jazz yeah. or in a prog rock band like Rush or something. I don't need to sing. I can just play, but I, I'm just fascinated by tremendous bass players and their ability, the feel, the style, oh, and, and you yeah. can watch, and they all play so different, you know, just like guitar players, right. they all have unique tone and style uh-huh. and everything else. And I thought about this a lot. And originally I was going to say, be a professional wrestler, but no, I, I think the bass, <laughs> man, like just be cool. Like, you know, just, hey, or and you're playing upright in a jazz club, you know, and yeah. in the old days it would have been smoky and you yep. just, the boom, 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 oh. boom. And then I'm, you know, I'm out there playing rush licks or whatever it is. Uh, so, oh. Yeah. I remember when, uh, we'll sidetrack with the bass talk, we went uh, a number of years ago, Rocky and I got to see the old 97s in Sioux Falls. Very small venue, so we were like real close. And just watching the guitarist, watching Rhett Miller play and the bass and and all of them being right up there was just so, so cool. That was fun. As far as my answer, Jeff, that's a really good question. I, I don't know at this point in my life. I don't know. I don't have a lot of regrets of, wow, I wish I would have done such and such. I don't know. Cause I'm kind of, you know, like, you know, don't going down the ice cream road. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question though. Maybe you can answer it a year from now. Yeah. A year from now. We'll see. Like but, we're talking about how, how the long-term pandemic issues. We'll talk about what could you do not fail. Right. Right. Exactly. Cause yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my life that I'm like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, Maybe maybe jump out of an airplane. Okay. Uh, I'll say that because I really have no desire to do it. <laughs> when you're jumping out of an airplane, there's two ways in my mind that you fail. Either you don't jump or you crash when you, when you land. Right. If I knew that I wouldn't chicken out at the top and I knew I would land softly, then... Maybe I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that. We need to get you hooked up with KO. You need to go down there to Carolina and do it with her <laughs> the next time she does it because she's an old pro at this point. She is. I'm sure she could, she could help oh. you very much with that. I, I don't, I would say I don't have a fear of heights. I have a fear of falling. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Tom Daniels asks, are you a fan of daylight savings time or not? And why? All right. So I was having this conversation with my girls this morning. I don't care. I just want to stop changing. <laughs> now, this time is going to be okay because the dogs aren't going to wake me up at 4.30 in the morning for breakfast because they can't tell time. They <laughs> they know what time that it's time to eat based on how bright outside it is. 
Mm. (laughs) That's how they know when it's time to eat. So in the fall, I get woken up in the middle of the night to get breakfast. I honestly, I don't care. I know some people like it when it's light later. I live in a part of the world where come July, 10 o'clock at night, it's going to be light out during daylight savings time. But I I really don't care. I always have an easier time moving forward than moving back. Yeah. For whatever reason, the biological clock. I'm up every day by 4.30 anyway, Eastern. Sunlight time doesn't matter. And of course, it's kind of funny to think how things have changed. And, you know, there's still, there's states that don't change. And uh-huh. I don't know. I'm not a fan. I'm not a detractor. It's just a, I will say I've always been fascinated from a payroll perspective. Like, you know, the, the oh. fact you have to automate. Because yeah. when I worked in the power plants, you had people on 24-7 shifts. Uh-huh. And they're working those. And I always, I always was just amazed that we knew how to, those systems are calculated. <laughs> That's how my simple mind works. It's more worried about that. That is true. That is, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, too. Michael Vandervoort has a couple questions for us. What are two things that you think are normal but become really strange when you do them repeatedly? And why is it called beauty sleep, even though you wake up looking like a hot mess? Well, I'm going to answer the second one first. Okay. Michael's never seen me wake up, so he doesn't know. <laughs> If I'm a hot mess or not. That's true. So I respectfully disagree with that. <laughs> but I think the whole thing with beauty sleep is it's supposed to be your body's replenished. And hopefully if you're hydrated and, you know, all these people that come on the show and drink lots of water, it ought to, I don't know. Flush I, I, you out. Maybe. I'm not a cosmetologist or have any right. medical training, but I'm assuming it has something to do with that. Look, I don't think anything's, I think what, what we think is normal or what you think is normal may be really strange. And culturally, culturally you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I've watched a lot of YouTube in the last two years, particularly a lot of food stuff. Uh-huh. Like I watch stuff, particularly about Southeast Asia and you'll, you'll watch food, you know, in South Korea, for example, and they put cheese on corn and like cheeses on everything, like in coffee and tea. Like, wait a minute, what cheese foam? Like that's not, to me, that's not normal. That's weird, well, but there, that's a delicacy. Huh. So I don't, two things. I, don't, I, Michael, I'm sorry. I, I thought about it. I, I don't know. I, I don't immediately know. went to saying any word. So if you say okay. a word, a single word, over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and you start thinking about it, that's weird. You know, you start thinking about you know, just over, over, over. Okay. Well, and maybe over is a bad red rum, red rum. <laughs> But if you start like seriously, you know, and I maybe I get too deep into it sometimes. Where you're like, oh, well, why, why does O V E R spell over? And then I you start going down that rabbit track of who came up with the first way it was pronounced in English, which you know, 500 years ago, we couldn't talk to someone speaking English 500 years ago because they spoke a different sure. language. I would you argue know? that we can we can't speak to. <laughs> people in certain parts of the country. I mean, again, dialect is so fascinating. So fascinating. So just, yeah. Words, 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 just, yeah. And then if you, yeah, don't think about it too much, but. (laughs) And the level of expectation we have for other people to come here to try to figure it out. Right. Particularly when many of them speak multiple languages and most of us don't. That's a pat answer for the, for most Americans, but I believe it's true. You know, I had my high school German and I remember enough to order a drink or something, but right. you know, 
repeating words. What did you have a but, second one? I don't know that I had a second one, but that was that was the first place that I went to because it was what's normal, but as you do it over and over again, seems really strange. What was was words? I, I'm going to have to ask Michael what his answer would be. <laughs> I would be curious to see. Yeah. When I ask him anything sometime, yep. when there next time go. we see him, we'll have to ask what What is your position on beauty sleep? Um, beauty same same as yours. That you're you're rested and ready. Are Are you beautiful? No, in the first place, first thing in the morning. Uh, it probably depends on how much hair you have on your head too. You know, let's let's be honest with that. When my children were little bald babies, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> now they gotta get haircuts all the time and one of them's got to do her hair every morning and what it, what is your routine in the morning and how long does it take you so you know if i get if i get a good sleep it doesn't take me as long to get ready uh, it's it's a lot of i think it's one of those weird sayings that nobody you know you really don't know where it came from like sleep like a baby i don't want to sleep like a baby at least not my babies it's <laughs> fair that's fair that's fair <laughs> can i sleep like a dog that would be, that makes more sense. My dogs sleep constantly. They're, they're like cats. <laughs> We're going to wrap up the first part of this with Heather Kinsey asking, do you put your cream in the cup before or after you pour your coffee? Before. And I usually, I've almost always done this, but there is an Alton Brown episode from Good Eats where he was talking about coffee. And that was one of his recommendations because then the cream or creamer or milk, whatever you're putting in there, or if you're putting sugar, whatever, it heats up and has a chance to melt as the coffee is being poured and it mixes better than if you just take a spoon and, and mix it up after. So your cream and everything warms up with the coffee as opposed to coming in cold. Caveat on that is uh, Jesse gave me a milk frother for Christmas. That is actually easier to pour in after. So I usually do a little bit, half goes in my cup before I very complicated to make coffee. In my I say house. you're complicating this answer very much. The frother is really cool because if I, when I have whole or uh, heavy cream in the house for making ice cream, the frother will turn it into whipped cream. Then we can get fresh whipped cream on our coffee as well. I don't have a good answer for this because I haven't had a cup of coffee in, I don't remember the last time it's been <laughs> years. It legit has been years. If I have a, a Coke Zero, I, I unscrew oh. the top and drink it. I usually have a bottle, not a can. <laughs> No cream in your Coke Zero. <laughs> no, no, no. But but have you heard about that Starlight Coke that's out? I'm curious about it. Okay, I'm I had scared, a friend that tried but it. I'm curious. Yeah. Okay. So I had a friend that tried it, and what he said was, it tasted like mint cotton candy with raspberries or some kind of berry. And I, no, no, hmm, I don't know what it, none of us know what space tastes like. It, it's not feasible. I'm not sure why they thought that was space, but yeah, mint uh, cotton candy. No, no, thank um, you. I, no, 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 no. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, but the only time I drink uh, pop anymore is if they if somebody's got a cherry coke fountain. That's one of my weaknesses, but otherwise I. But ew. That could mint. be a whole conversation. So there you go with English coke soda pop. Yeah, yeah, it's pop, folks. It's pop. It, it's coke. <laughs> Everything's a Coke until you, well, I want a Coke, what kind? And you tell them. I'll tell a quick story. The One of the funniest things I ever saw when I was a freshman in college, uh, freshman week, Paul Reiser came and did stand up. Okay. I thought he was great, but he's not necessarily what an 18 year old audience in 19, in the early 1990s would necessarily be looking for. This was pre-Mad About You. 
but he's telling some really funny stories and he starts talking about the whole Coke pop soda thing. And he, he tells the bit, he leaves it and he's up there and he's got a, he's got a cup and he, and he's like, Oh man, I ran out of drink. <laughs> and this girl in the audience yells pop. And he goes, no, sh- it was water. <laughs> and then he's like, Oh my. And of course everybody just blows it. And he's like, Oh my God, I just called this in front of all her classmates. I am so sorry. Like, you know, cause he's just right. responding to right. a, to a heckler. Right. No water. So I, I was immediately a Paul Reiser fan. Cause that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. That's awesome. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. This episode of the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast is brought to you by Namely. The role of HR has changed drastically over the last couple of years with remote work on the rise, constantly changing compliance requirements, and a historically competitive talent market. Making sure your team is supported in their work and community is more crucial than ever. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need to set you up for success along with dedicated support, giving you all the help you need to help your team. Namely helps you easily adapt to the ever-changing workplace and maintain a great employee experience, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, with onboarding, performance management, and intuitive benefits enrollment, all in one connected modern platform. Plus, Namely can streamline your payroll, time tracking, and vacation requests, so you can be everyone's favorite HR leader, no matter how your company grows. Companies are built on people. Don't let either fail. Get the support you need and learn more about making the switch to Namely by going to Namely.com. Thanks again to Namely for sponsoring this episode of the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back. And uh, the second half is going to get a little crazy here. So, John, I will let you kick it off. Kate Bischoff, a name (laughs) you know, you love, and you trust. A dear friend. I do. I do. (laughs) I do. And, And I will say Kate Bischoff is now... She has re- received an honorary status for Ask Us Anything that regardless of what she send us, sends us going forward, they will all be answered. Every time. In some way. <laughs> I don't know how, we'll and it may it. not be exactly right, but you know, in the past we've edited and re- mm-hmm. no, 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 no. She comes up with stuff. We're going to answer it. Some of you have been with us from the beginning with these things. You know how uh, off the wall they may be or, or that whole idea that Michael had about what two things that are normal. Mm-hmm. And, no, some of these are just weird. We're going to go back and forth. The first one is probably the most benign of these, yeah. and that is, what was your favorite toy growing up? It's a toss-up between Barbies and Strawberry Shortcake. My sister and I were both into Strawberry Shortcake. I was into Barbies. Um, my best friend had Barbie, so I had the Barbie friends so that we all we could tell our Barbies apart. Um, but we had all the strawberry shortcake dolls. We collected them. We had fun with them. Um, my grandpa made us a dollhouse that was the size of the strawberry shortcake doll, oh, neat. Neat. Um, which I still have. And um, Jessie is actually hoping that this summer I will let her remodel it, um, oh, wow. which I probably will because it's got uh, linoleum from my original house. It's got, awesome. It's yeah. He did a great job with it. And the fact that my sister and I played with it and my daughters have played with it has just, it is wonderful. But I think my niece got the strawberry shortcake dolls. I don't know where they ended up, but, um, so yeah, that was mine. How about you? I will say I too really liked strawberry shortcake. My sister had those yeah. and I was always purple I was always purple pine because nice. I thought he smelled great. But yeah, <laughs> um and, and those are coming back by the way. I know. Boss Fight Studios, which is a boutique 
uh-huh. company is is bringing out like these high end. I'll send oh. you some pictures. They're really cool. Oh. Uh, boss fight. Boss fight does really neat stuff. Most people know it's GI Joe. That was the end all be all for me. However, I will say there's another line that was when I was younger that I was into called Adventure People from oh, Fisher Price, yes. and it is. It's the second greatest toy line ever behind G.I. Joe. It was around for probably a decade. It was around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty easy to find stuff on eBay boxed from, from the late, like oh, late, wow. it went from the, like the mid seventies till the uh-huh. yeah, late 80, yeah, it, yeah, it's only 85, yeah. 84, 85. But yeah, I loved Adventure People. And what was great is I, I have all my Adventure People still. Uh, they were in the attic and my kids played with them yeah. when they were four and five. I had, you know, it's like the safari set. It still had the dirt, like the, it was the dirt from <laughs> nice. the seventies in the wheels. Oh, wow. And, and my kids just beat them up because yeah. they were just, they were built to just thrash mm-hmm. and man, adventure people. So cool. So anyway, adventure people and GI Joe, those were my two favorite things when I was a kid. I love it. We're taking a definite turn here. Why do belly buttons collect lint? I'm assuming it has something to do with the shape. Because mm-hmm. if a belly button, I, I don't know, do Audis, do they collect lint? I, I don't even know. I, I had one briefly when I was pregnant. Okay. Um, I don't remember, though. Do they have a choice? I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's got to go somewhere, just like the lost socks in the dryer. I know they go somewhere, too. The lint's got to yeah. end up somewhere, so why not your belly button? Yeah, I I would I would say this. It's at, it's at a prime spot to collect lint from your clothes, I guess dried skin cells, whatever it is, whatever that lint becomes. So um, I, I'm I'm sure someone out there knows the answer, but I don't. I'm assuming you probably don't know the answer to this <laughs> one either, but why does poop stink? I was just going to say biology. Well, and it, you know what? It is waste. It is yes. all of the stuff that your body can't use. So, and food has a smell. So your poop's going to have, you know, we're getting real here. Poop has an odor depending on what you ate when it comes. So, you know, like if we have veggie fajitas, poop's a little different than if I have a hamburger. I don't want this show to get too scatological. <laughs> so I'm going to leave the bio- biology piece to you. But I want to tell another story because I thought, as I was thinking through this list, <laughs> you talk about crazy things that have happened. So t- 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago, I, I get a call from a manager about a, a temporary employee that they had. It was the son of a full-time employee. He was in college. And I get this call, just this person is going off out of her mind. John, we got a problem. And I'm calling, you know, I'm calling HR. Like she's freaking out. Like, okay, slow down, slow down. What's going on? She's like, he did, you know, she just kept ranting about this kid. He did this and he did this. And she's telling the story and she's like hyperventilating. She's so angry. And I'm like, I, look, we got to calm down here. Like, what is going on? So she finally gets calmed down enough. She says, he came into my office and relieved himself. And I thought, oh, my God, the kid went in the corner and took a leak on a plant or something. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm like i sitting here trying to picture it going, holy cow, like, this has made my week. So I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. He relieved himself. Help me understand what's happening here. She says, he came into my office after lunch, and he said, I have something for you. And she said, and then he... uh She said he lifted his leg and he broke wind. <laughs> and then he rubbed his belly and he said, there's more where that came from. 
Okay, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, no, it was just, <laughs> she was so impassioned and you, and I'm literally thinking this kid took a leak and yeah. like, I'm thinking yeah. worse comes to worse, but he went in there and he, <laughs> he lifted up his leg. These are, these were all women in oh. their 50s, if not 60s. And here's this 20 year old kid. <laughs> I got something for you. Rips a big one, rubs his belly and goes, there's more where that came from. Two ladies started chasing him with a can of Lysol. <laughs> so here's the best part. <laughs> They let him go. Yeah. We send him home. He calls the agency later and says, like, I don't understand why why they let me go. And, and one of my coworkers is like, you went in and farted in this lady's office. What the hell were you thinking? So the manager calls me back oh, later gosh. and she says, Bobby, not his name. Bobby's called me twice and I refuse to talk to him. I said, you don't have to talk to Bobby anymore. Right. And she said, if he calls again, I'm just, and I said, don't. And I said, here's the thing. Bobby's dad is going to go home tonight. And he's going to have to explain to his dad why he no longer has this great summer job with your group. And she said, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so that's my oh, greatest fart story that, at work. Is that, that is awesome. The whole the buildup, and the, I'm sorry, that, the buildup of it, yeah. and the, he relieved himself. And John Thurman's definition of relieving himself that, and breaking wind are two very different things. I, I was expecting the, do you remember the office episode where someone... Michael's yeah. office. That's where I was expecting this to go, quite honestly, because I was like, yeah. wow, he did it while she was in the room? <laughs> right. Oh my God. That, I'm sure that has happened. Somebody oh, probably listening to the show can probably, tell, can probably tell us that story. But yeah, yeah that was, that oh was one of my God. favorites. That oh was God. one of my favorites. <laughs> so moving on. Wow. Okay. So after that, John, if you were a whole grain, what whole grain would you be? Is quinoa a whole grain? I think so. Quinoa. Why quinoa? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds exotic. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what would you say? Well, my first thought was alfalfa, but I don't think alfalfa is a is an actual grain. And that's only because I love how alfalfa smells when it's mowed. So I'm going to go with wheat because... A wheat field, when it is ready to be harvested, is beautiful in the sunlight. It's just stunning. I don't know that you see that many places other than on the plains, um, but you get a nice little breeze and the sun and it's golden and it's just, yeah, that's what I would be. All right, next up. Are you confident that the color you see as red is actually red? Well, this actually gets into that whole conversation earlier about how did we come up with red as the color, as the name of the color. I'm going to say that I'm confident because most people I know describe that same color as red. They use the same word to describe the same color. So I even in other languages, it still equates. It still equates rojo. Rouge, all of all, any of those. Everyone's saying it the same. It is saying it's the same color. We could all be wrong. <laughs> we, we could. I, I think you're right. And I've had friends that are colorblind over the years. And I can remember one time I had a friend that was colorblind that I was wearing a shirt or a tie rather that had oranges on it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know. He called them limes because he couldn't see they were oranges. Oh, yeah. Now, granted, it's not red, but it was orange. But yes, I, I'm with you. I think that. It is generally accepted that red is red is red. Mm-hmm. We're going to leave it to our friends over at HR Happy Hour with their Pantone scale because there's 
even within red, how many shades of red are there? Right. Yeah. We could, we could disagree on what shade it is and what is the quote official marketing. Cause you know, marketing has names for all official colors. All right. Uh, can coins stand up on their edges? I think over the years I have taken quarters or uh -huh. something and put them up on their side. So I, yeah. So, I mean, it's a Kate Bishop question. So I would, is, that, <laughs> is that, is that called the edge? Is it the point? I, I agree with you that yes, you can stand a coin on its edge. Again, it is Kate. <laughs> the last question that Kate has is certainly the most philosophical of the bunch. I think. Uh -huh. How does one know they are in love? Wow. I personally do not believe love is a feeling. I believe the love is a choice and it is something that you choose to do with those in, in your family, um, by blood or not. And it, it's a decision that, that you make every single day that are you going to continue to love these people? Um, because feelings fade. And so that's where, to me, that's the only way unconditional love is a real thing is that it's a choice that I make that there's nothing my children could do that would make me stop loving them because I'm going to make that choice each and every day. Um, I've already decided that, um, same thing with my husband. I have to make that choice each and every day. Do I like them all the time? Maybe not. <laughs> do they do things to annoy us? Yeah. I truly believe love is a choice. Now attraction is different infatuation is different. Those are feelings because those are also fleeting. Wow. I, I can't top that. <laughs> Some more fun questions. Um, this time from Matt Stolick. So Matt is com competing with Kate, I think for some of the fun questions here. What is the fine line between stupid and clever? I love this question. I don't have a great answer other than Conan O'Brien's been trying to keep that line for 35 years. <laughs> even said something to that effect in the last episode of his of his late night show i tend to think that my humor skews from a lot of other people's or like i find you find your you find your people right and conan o'brien i can remember from the beginning watching conan show in college and thinking it was just hysterical and a lot of people just didn't get it or didn't like it and they never this wasn't for them and he just rode that he did he rode that and it's fascinating how many of those how many of the people like him came out of these astute, high-level in, uh, academic institutions mm -hmm. and, and do silly stuff? Yeah. Maybe not so much scatological, which that has its place. <laughs> Art jokes can be funny. It, it is an incredibly fine line. It's being wise enough to know, almost like using the word over and over and over again. Yeah. If you repeat the bit too many times or what have you, it, it loses its punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like when um, The Simpsons and um, Sideshow Bob, when he's stepping on the rakes, it gets right up to that line, but it's still, it doesn't cross it. And so that's probably a Conan thing, quite honestly, because he's he was a writer on The Simpsons for many years. He was indeed. It's a challenge. And like I said, you, you see, you think about a Dumb and Dumber, uh -huh. which most of that movie is just kind of the jokes are just dumb, but then there are things that are a little more thoughtful or Particularly if you if you pick really obscure references, uh -huh. Dennis Miller may not like his politics, but he had some pretty funny and interesting yeah. jokes where he used really specific things that a lot of people wouldn't get. If you read a lot of old comics, comic books like particularly Marvel, they would reference people, and and they would put Deadpool particularly. They they reference like Spiro T. Agnew, 
and then it would have a, an asterisk and it'd say, ask your kid, ask, <laughs> you know, kids, ask your parents. Because it was just stuff uh-huh. you, you wouldn't understand, but it's, again, that clever and, yeah. and not being silly or stupid. But to me, Conan O'Brien epitomizes it. And every, his his show, you know, his TV show, uh-huh. his podcast, writing on the symptoms, Simpsons, everything he's done, I've always been a fan of him. Yeah. And I, I will say, if you're not listening to that podcast, it is so, it's so interesting to listen to him in that format. And sometimes they get super silly and sometimes it's a little more serious. He's doing that show now. I don't, or do you listen to that show at all? Or have you, have you heard I haven't. Um, it's on the list right. of, hey, when I have time, I need to listen to this now that I'm not driving anymore. He does a sub-series now called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And they interview people like you and me. It's just random Oh, interesting. People. And it was funny. One of the wrestlers I'm a big fan of now, Danhausen. Danhausen was on as one of his guests. But he's had last week or two weeks ago, he had a guy on that does sand sculptures professionally. Wow. And it's just, <laughs> he'll have people from other countries and just random people, but they all have fun. Just like we all have our stories. Right. These people have stories and he, they talk about themselves and they talk about what they do. And then they always, at the end, ask him a question. He goes, how can I help you? Some of them ask really funny questions. Some are really serious. But he always is engaged and focused. And he defines all that for me. He, he defines that line. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his, but just in, in what you've been saying, it's like, yeah, he is that. He's, he's on that line. He defines it. I agree. In a similar vein or in that same track, what is the difference between haha funny and funny haha? Haha funny is that's a really funny joke. You, you, <laughs> you're laughing and oh, that's so funny. Funny haha is more like, yeah, you're not funny. Haha. That's, that's the way I read it. I'm a big fan of the state, which was a sketch show on MTV in the nineties. It's my favorite sketch show of all time. And if you look at that cast, all but two of them are still in the business. Yeah. And they were behind things like Reno 911. Oh, okay. And a lot of them are in Brooklyn 99 or Wet Hot American Summer. Three of the guys, Michael, Michael, and David, three of them went off and did a show called Stella. They called it Dumb Comedy Dressed Up in a Suit. They would do these just bizarre bits in nightclubs in New York. And I say all this to say, if you've never seen the show Stella and, and you want to see funny haha and haha funny together, it, it, it is <laughs> the weirdest. It's just, it's so off the wall. But a lot of people, like, a lot of people showed up on it. This is from like 2005. Wow. I found it on used DVD a while back for like six bucks. And I was so excited because I hadn't seen it in years. You can find okay. the state. It's actually on Paramount now. Did okay. you watch the state? It was on MTV. I don't remember. They did, they did three seasons on, the, on MTV. And then they got picked up by CBS and they did this Halloween special. It aired one time and it did so badly. They never did anything else for CBS. (laughs) Several of them left and they did a show called Viva Variety that was on Comedy Central. Then they did Reno 911. And then the other guys went off and did Stella. And then Michael and Michael have issues. And they're just done all kinds of stuff over the years. And like I said, that cast, it's amazing how spread out in the comedy Uh world they have become and, and still are. And, I'm glad I get to talk about the state on this show. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Like that's, <laughs> that's funny. How, like, and I also think about Chris Farley cause he always used to talk about fatty fall down Yeah, and that he was so much more than that. And his friends all knew that, but SNL would go for the cheap joke. Yeah. And that's always, that's really sad. And I've, you know, I've heard stories about him and that, you know, they, they were really, they were really pushing him to do a serious movie uh-huh. before he passed. And he was much funnier than, 
yeah. they allowed him to be. You want to talk about somebody that was scatological? He did some. Whew, he had, they had some pretty wild times in the SNL. I uh, think they did, yeah. Backstage. <laughs> well, when you're talking about a guy his size literally opening a window and dropping trowel and deciding yeah. to do his business, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it around to that. <laughs> this is the poop show. All right, last question from Matt. What pseudonym do you or would you use when you check into a hotel? I have never used one. Uh, I, I just don't think I'm important enough. <laughs> but if I was going to, I would use Reinhold Messner. Reinhold Messner. Reinhold Messner. Okay. Who, in real life, he's an Italian mountain climber. Okay. Reinhold Messner in the 80s. His name was one of the most used names on fake IDs in North Carolina. <laughs> ben Folds 5, their last album together in the late 90s is called The Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner. Oh. Reinhold Messner would be my choice. And nobody would get it. No. And that's okay. No, they it's, wouldn't. It's for me. How about you? I would go with Tina Fey because it might get me something. Yeah. And I, think, okay. I think I'm close enough visually yeah. if I darkened my hair. That I, I might be able to to get away with it. I always thought the idea was, was you want to put a name that they don't find you. So if somebody calls the hotel, oh, it's Tina Fey staying there. Right. And that's kind of, that would kind of be the joke is that obviously it's not Tina Fey because <laughs> Tina Fey's not going to use her real name. <laughs> have you read her book? I have. I love her book. Do you remember the story in there when she worked at the Y? She talked about the guy that had the bike injury. Yes. I knew him. Really? Oh I, when gosh. I was at school at Northwestern, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, when I was at Northwestern, he would stop me on the street and tell me that story all the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So she was there at the time I was. Yeah. I'd never met her. But I remember reading that book and I'm going, holy cow, I remember that guy. Like he <laughs> was really sad. Yeah. yeah. He had this horrible accident and he never asked for money. He just wanted to tell you a story and wanted you to encourage you to wear a bike helmet. Wow. My weird connection to her. You, yes. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, Mary Williams had a couple questions, uh -huh. but they are specific to us. So I'm going to ask yours first. Okay. Wendy, I've enjoyed following your journey of daily scoops, particularly the idea of the Girl Scout cookies and beer pairings. What surprises have you had along the way? Were you surprised that there was a particular combo that was a big success and anything that, that works that you didn't think would work? Honestly, I never, I didn't think... One, well, I never planned on being an entrepreneur, owning a business or going down this road, um, but there's been enough people encouraging me to do it. It just made sense. And one of the things I like about it is I can do it on my own terms. Uh, I have an entrepreneur mentor in Brookings. One of the things that she almost always tells me whenever we meet is, this is your timetable. You're not behind. You're not ahead. You're right where you're supposed to be. So that has uh, kind of kept me going when I feel like, oh, I need to move a little bit faster or slower or whatever. I wish I had enough money to pay somebody to do all the business stuff for me <laughs> so that I could just create ice cream because that's what I it, it enjoy doing. This last uh, weekend, I made a mint ice cream. It was uh, I used my mint chocolate chip ice cream recipe and just added thin mints instead. And it turned out really yummy. I mean, you can't go wrong with Girl Scout cookies and ice cream. It just, every one of them pairs, you can find a match. I think the biggest surprise for me was how much people have enjoyed when I did the testing for my boozy breakfast line, which is um, soaking the milk in 
breakfast cereals from our childhood. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the runaway favorite on that. Fruit Loops is probably a second, but it's not as, um, the flavor isn't as, as much there. I'm going to try Fruity Pebbles and see if that works a little bit better to get that fruit. The biggest bust so far has been um, trying Lucky Charms as a boozy breakfast. I didn't realize that Lucky Charms doesn't have a lot of flavor. It's not whole grain either, so. No, it's not whole grain. There's no, you know. It's like eating cardboard, and then if it's like, there's no, when there's, there's no marshmallows. I mean, it's just regular. I mean, it's like a cereal with a little bit of sugar on it, and the marshmallows have zero flavor, which I didn't really, I'm not a big fan of Lucky Charms. I don't like marshmallows in my cereal, I should say. So that one didn't turn out like I had hoped, because I thought it would be fun, you know, but it wasn't. And it turned kind of a weird greenish color. So it really wasn't even appetizing to look at. That's been the fun part for me is trying different things. And then like when I did the Bananas Foster for our anniversary special or um, celebration and like, okay, well, how can I, it's rum. So, oh, let's add rum to the ice cream. We made a uh, spiced rum vanilla ice cream and added some caramelized bananas to it. It's a lot of fun. And I mean, the other thing that keeps me going is no one else is doing this. Nobody anywhere. I, I find specialty ice creams, but there's really no one using alcohol hmm. to, to flavor their ice cream. Yeah. I think it's, it's been fun. I appreciate that, Mary. And if you're ever in the area, tell me your favorite flavor and we'll come up with a, uh, a batch for you. <laughs> You better be careful. We got a lot of listeners. All we do, place. we do. But hey, if you're that. if you're going to be in the area, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. It doesn't take long to make a batch of ice cream, just like for a couple of pints. It doesn't take long at all. And Mary's question for John: John, you do a lot of music shares. Do you have a favorite song, artist, and genre? No, no, and no. And <laughs> it was fascinating to me when I first got into Twitter from the HR stuff. It was all about HR. And then when I started talking particularly to Steve Brown, Kevin W. Grossman, several other people, we started talking about music. And I realized, oh, you know, there's a lot of other cool stuff that people have interest in that, that you can share. You know, I grew up in a house where my dad has been a semi-professional singer since I, he was a, right out of high school, was a church choir director for many, many years. So I grew up around church music and more, you know, liturgical slash classical kind of stuff. You know, I got into middle school and I joined the band and got very active in band, super active in band, super band nerd, and really got into instrumental music. I listened to the radio. It was 80s, and there's great 80s music, but it was just not my thing. I was really into to that. And I got to college and I started listening to prog rock. I don't know, because I was a nerd and that just sounded like the cool thing to do. So I was listening to Rush and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and, and bands that were not of my time. And then in 1996, 95, 96, I discovered Ben Folds 5. Literally heard it on the radio. I heard Underground. Blew my mind. And I was trying to write the lyrics down on a piece of paper. I went to the record store and I'm like, hey, there's this band. The guy plays piano. I was trying to read them. They had no idea what I was talking about. It was on the alt station, alt rock station in Nashville. I like a lot of stuff. You know, just whatever hits me. Music is this beautiful thing. And it's so many things to so many people. While I'm detached from the standpoint, I haven't touched an instrument in years. I haven't done anything, you know, in terms of creating music. I still have an incredible passion for stuff that's played well. Uh -huh. And regardless if it fits classical music or a hip-hop tune, like I listen to a lot of, 
I'm the white kid from the country that was <laughs> playing De La Soul tapes in my 85 Mazda 626. And like when three is the magic number showed up in Spider-Man, I sang every word. <laughs> Heidi looked at me like, how do you? And I'm like, that's from Three Feet High and Rising. Like, that's one of the greatest albums ever done. So it is, it's this weird thing. And, you know, and I, I will literally go, oh, okay, I want to go listen to the song. And I'll have these earworms that mm -hmm. pop up that can be anything. It's a blessing and a curse in that regard. <laughs> like, if I'm really into somebody, like Maynard Ferguson, rest his soul. I saw Maynard Ferguson 20 times before. Wow. I've seen Ben Folds 12 or 13 times now. I don't go as, to as much live music now or current music. It just doesn't It doesn't interest me, and, and that's a shame because there is some cool stuff being made. I'm missing a show tonight. I would have gone to a show tonight, The Regrets, and I would have stuck out like a sore thumb. It's a, a all-girl band that are all in their mid to late 20s. And, wow. group, and and it is I am not their demographic I would be their <laughs> but I love them like they're really cool and they've got a great message and and I just yeah I dig them and I anyway I'm recording this because I wanted to talk to you yeah and again I would have stuck out uh, but, you know, I've learned so much doing rush Saturday then folds Friday now Sundays with Juliana Hatfield Juliana Hatfield's so underrated people uh -huh. just do not appreciate Juliana Hatfield or Blake babies enough it's been amazing to see just how interconnected we are. And I've picked up music. You know, we've yeah. I've learned about acts or gone and listened to albums in different ways. And, or, Hey, you talk to somebody and you figure out like they're a musician, they play an instrument now, or they were, they were really active. How many band nerds have I met doing this? Uh -huh. show? Tuba players, conference pal for life. Nicole Roberts is a tuba player. Josh rocks a tuba player. Like that's crazy. Like, right. Well, that, and no three tuba players in HR before this. <laughs> So anyhow, I would say I love it. Oh, there are certain things I don't care much for, but I at least appreciate craft. And I'll give I'll give anything a shot. I don't really dig what my kids are listening to because it's to me it's just screaming. But hey, man, if it if it gets them and they're excited about uh -huh. it, I'm old enough now. I don't on anybody else's bliss. That's where I am. <laughs> I just you know right? I used to I used to be I, I don't want to say I was a snob, but yeah, I had I, I had some level of expectation. But you know what? If you like it and it moves you. Yep. It, it's like love. If you love a band or an act, if I, I may think they're hot garbage, and that's okay. okay. It's it's you know, that, that's it's what the, makes the world go around. Exactly. I was just thinking. You know the the differences between us. I mean, if we all liked the same thing, how boring would that be? Yes, but anybody that says Rush is bad is just <laughs> like I read something lately where this guy he named uh, Steely Dan, Rush, and another band like the three worst bands ever, and I'm like, dude. You've never seen Stone Cold Flat, which was the worst band I've ever seen. It was a British act that opened for Juliana Hatfield in a hands hand down the worst, uh, the worst show I've ever been to. I wanted to ask you this because it's our show and we have time. Yeah. We've talked about most memorable performance. Uh -huh. So what what's the most memorable show you've ever been to? Or per, I mean musical or whatever. What's the most memorable thing for you? Oh, so many choices, but I think I would go to um oh well. Uh so I'm gonna go back to my Colorado days and uh, we went a bunch of us went to I think it was Copper Mountain and there was a uh, a, a music festival and uh, we saw the Bare Naked Ladies 10,000 Maniacs those are the two that are sticking out in my head I know there was a bunch more there's also a lot of alcohol um, <laughs> pretty sure those are the two that I really wanted to see um it, it was a blast. We were, you know, hanging out on, on the mountainside, listening to some great music. 
um, and, and having, having a blast. Um, number two would be seeing, um, into the woods with Maggie. Um, a couple of years ago, it was here in Sioux Falls and uh, it was on Valentine's day. We had front row seats. Still not quite sure how we got there. I'm like right front row. And between, um, as act, right before act two was about to start, the actors came out and were interacting with the audience and talking to us. And Maggie actually got to hold one of the horses. They had, um, oh, little hobby horses. For the princes, yeah. uh, one of the during one of the songs, one of the princes was like, "Hey, you hold this for me." So she's there in the front row holding the horse. <laughs> great. That's great. How about you? I have three, and again, this goes to show you stylistically how different they are. The first one, probably hands down, the greatest show I've ever seen, Tower of Power in 1995 in Nashville, Tennessee. It was almost all recording executives at the show and a bunch of college kids. And if you've never seen Tower of Power, Wow, it, it, it's funky and it's it's East Bay soul. Wendy, I cannot describe how amazing a live Tower of Power performance is, particularly that horn section where they missed one trumpet player cracked one note all night. It's like one person playing five instruments. Wow. It, is, it is hands down exciting and everybody's dancing and uh, there's nice. just they don't let up. And for 90 minutes, it, it, and it, I think part of it was because they were, they've been around, I mean, now they've been around 50, 55 years or whatever it mm. is, 50 something. I mean, this time they've been around 35 or 40. They knew everybody in Nashville. So all, like I said, it's all these recording people mm-hmm. coming to see him. So nice. I think they stepped it up for that show. The second show was also in Nashville, BR549, which is the greatest hillbilly band. <laughs> BR549, for those of you who don't know, it was the phone number to Junior Samples Carlot on Hee Haw. They opened the show. And then second was Billy Joe Shaver, God rest his soul. He is outlaw country to me, put on one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. And three quarters of that audience was so drunk, they started throwing beer bottles and cans and stuff. And it was like in Blues Brothers where they need to bring down the, the <laughs> Jason and the Scorchers, which is a rockabilly band, was supposed to close the show. We left because we're like, this is crazy. Yeah. But are 549 and Shaver back-to-back that night, unbelievable. But the third one is one of my many Ben Folds shows. For two shows in, I don't know, 08, 09, whenever it was, he did chat roulette, if you remember that platform. And, and oh, you know, they know would, it was basically a randomizer where you would get on and you would talk to people. Oh. A lot of times, though, it was pretty graphic. Mm. And it would be literally guys just, you would see their crotches and that's all you see. But you would just, it would literally a roulette. So it was a roulette wheel you would spin through and you could talk to somebody and then, or wow. if you didn't want to slide right, and it would go to the next one. He had stolen this concept from a guy named Merton who was doing piano performances, and he would get on chat roulette and play, and then people would look at him, and he'd make up songs. So Ben Folds does this twice. Mm. No, I'm sorry, he did it three times. The second time he did it was in Richmond. And I watched him for 10 and a half minutes make up songs to people as the chat roulette went on. And there was one point where it spun the wheel, and all of a sudden, all you saw a dude, you saw a dude's junk. Ah. That's all you saw. And then he ran to the next one, and he told everybody, he said, if you've got kids here, get them out, because I cannot promise you what's going to happen. Oh, the my end. gosh. But he gets to the end, and it's this dude drinking a bottle of Cuervo, wearing a Viking helmet. And he starts calling him Jose, and he's, and he's talking about him. And the dude, it's this big, beefy dude, and he's shirtless, and he's got a Viking helmet on, and he's pounding... <laughs> 
tequila and Ben Folds is making up this song and he gets to the end and he starts singing like the national anthem. And he goes, Jose, can you see? And, he's banging, <laughs> and the light strobe lights start going in and the audience is eight, you know, a thousand people yeah. in the audience are going crazy. And all of a sudden he hits the chat roulette button and it spins again. And this guy, all of a sudden his guy just sees this audience and this dude on a piano goes, we don't give a f- about you and slam the computer down. And that was the end of it. It was the greatest live thing, like single thing I've ever seen. Heidi and I were just beside wow. ourselves. Wow. It, it's out there. I'll, I'll find the link. It's He spliced them together and put them on YouTube. That is awesome. It it was unbelievable. At one point, there's three guys in sunglasses. You just start singing, I wear my sunglasses at night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was. <laughs> those kind of experiences. I saw the paper airplane show, same thing. Yeah. Everybody wrote their favorite song on a piece of paper. Oh. The first time we were doing it was in Richmond. Lights come up. He walks out, and three hundred paper airplanes go flying up wow. the to the plane. Anyway, that's crazy. Wow, we've gone a long time. Yeah, but that's because it's our show, and it's we, we get can, to. <laughs> we we want to thank everybody again, yes. and it is tradition. Yes, we got to do a giveaway. All so, right. Wendy, you ready to spin the wheel? I am ready. Here we go. And the winner is Matt Henry. Ooh. All the way at the beginning. Matt, we may be talking about how did the pandemic long-term effect, but (laughs) short-term is you win a prize, my friend. So congratulations. We will be in touch uh, before the show releases. Thank you, everyone, again, for being part of this grand experiment. Wendy, thank you for letting me ramble about comedy and music. Hey, this is great. This was a tremendous amount of fun. This was a lot of fun. I like doing this every three or four months. I I think it's our sweet spot. For sure. We don't have anybody to talk about otherwise. So no. if somebody's made it this far and they're not connected with you, I can't imagine. What's, but if the, they're what's not, your problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's the best way for them to reach you out there? The uh, best way is my blog, mydailyjourney.com. And then, of course, Twitter, second and fourth Sunday of each month. You'll find me there, 7 p.m. Eastern time and other times, too. Um, but that time specifically for as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Thanks to Namely for sponsoring this episode. Yes. I'm sure they probably wondered what they were getting into, but thank you, <laughs> Namely. Always. They're gone. Be sure to check they haven't out, listened. Be, be sure to check out <laughs> Namely.com to, to, to learn more about their offerings. For me, JohnThurman.com for all things John Thurman for the show, HRSocialHourPodcast.podbean.com. Listen, rate, review, share, follow, whatever platform you're on. Just find that follow button link whatever it may be, you get that new episode each and every week. International listeners, we talked a lot about language tonight. We would love to talk about HR in your world as well. So reach out to us. Let's have those conversations and get Let's them started. Wendy, again, this was tremendous fun. We will be back next week, though, with a guest. Yes. A little more closer to normal, but <laughs> thank you all again for, for being part of this uh, crazy experiment. We'll be less scatological, I promise. So... For the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.